0: to today's message as we we are going to talk about the importance of community within uh, the life of our church but before we get started in today in the sermon let me invite you to take out the connection card in your program it's a white and uh reddish card and uh please feel free to uh, fill that out if you're a guest with us here this morning i invite you to leave us information that we might give you a official welcome to the church and i invite you to make your way to the Connection Central booth after the service and pick up a gift that we would have there for you. Uh, On the back of the Connection card, you can actually register for a couple different things. I might highlight that the women's retreat registration ends next Sunday. So I know a lot of you ladies uh, would like to go on this retreat. Please let us know if you're going to come during the week or on the weekend. Uh, Baptism and new uh, new members class is coming up. And uh, next week starts kind of the, the beginning of the Easter celebration. We have Palm Sunday. Next Sunday, Good Friday service this year is going to be at 6 o'clock uh, p.m. And, uh, and then on Easter Sunday, we'll have breakfast, as we, as we usually do, 8.30, and have a film together after that, Easter egg hunt for the kids, uh, and then our, and then our worship service together. So please keep those in mind, obviously. When we think about the church calendar as Christians, there is no high, higher season of celebration and reflection than when we think about Good, Good Friday and Easter and these things together. So make note of that on your calendars. A couple of weeks ago, I had an opportunity to uh, have a, va- a week's vacation. And so Chelsea and I were looking forward to a weekend alone without kids, uh, which uh, uh, if and I, which I emphasize that it was without kids because that's what truly makes it special for us. Not that I have anything uh, against our kids, obviously. I love them very much. But there's only two problems. And one is that one of our kids is two years old and she acts like a two-year-old. And the other is that our other kid is six years old and he acts like a kindergartner. And so these are our only two problems. Other than that, they're uh, great kids. But uh, I, I, only, I only kid about all of that. But uh, really, it is, if you've had little ones at home, you know how precious it is to have a, a weekend getaway. So Chelsea and I had opportunity. We got a hotel in Santa Monica, and we had all kinds of plans. It was going to be a great weekend together. And so because the hotel was close to the beach, we were going to go to the uh, beach in the afternoon, go out to eat that night, and uh, have a meal where we're able to have adult conversation, which is, again, a rarity these days. And uh, so that meant if we were going to see a movie, we're going to see a movie in the morning. I have never gone to see a movie in the morning. I'm a big fan of movies in the morning because, A, they're really cheap, and, B, there's like nobody in the theater So here is a picture of my wife, Chelsea, during the movie. Now, this is a theater that has, like, recliners. I'd never been to a theater where you get a recliner. And uh, this is in the middle of the movie. Stand up, take a picture. Nobody cares. Nobody's there. We are literally the only ones in the theater. And uh, we had a a great time. In fact, the highlight of the weekend for me was I got to run the L.A. Marathon. And uh, so... That doesn't look like a highlight picture. It looks like (laughs) some sort of cruel punishment, Uh, but it was actually a lot of fun. You know, when you're done, you have that sense of victory, and uh, it it was a great time. But at one point during the uh, week's vacation, uh, my wife asked me, she said, "Uh, it seems like you're kind of discouraged. Are you down about something? And to be honest, I, I was feeling a little bit down and, and discouraged. And, and I told her, you know, I think it's because of this book I'm reading. I'd, I'd been re- I, I came across a book through um, an editorial that I read in the newspaper. And, uh, and it's written by an e- uh, editorial writer that I, th- I think is, is really good. I, I respect what he has to say. And he said about a book that this is already the most, and I'm quoting, already the most discussed and most important re- religious book of the decade. So I thought, wow, that's the most important religious book of the decade. Quite the statement. As a pastor, I'm going to, I'll be honest, if I read that, I'm going to go buy that book. So I went and I bought the uh, book. The book is entitled The Benedict Option by, the, by a guy by the name of Rod Dreyer. And he gives a pretty dark and grim picture of the culture around us that, that we live in in this, in, in 2017. And uh, and as I was reading this, I couldn't help but get a little bit discouraged. He has all of these examples, but let me just give you one quote to kind of summarize what he says. He says, American Christians are going to have to come to terms with the brute fact that we live in a culture, one in which our beliefs Uh, make increasingly little sense. We speak a language that the world more and more either cannot hear or finds offensive to its ears. And I read that and, you know, I'm not one to focus in on the negative and I don't try to look for everything that's bad happening in the world, but he gives all of these examples and I'm reading this and I couldn't help but feel like, what he, a lot of what he was saying resonates with the reality that I see around us. That there is more and more in culture around us, there is not only a difference in of, of opinion with what we understand the Bible to teach as right and wrong, but to use uh, Rod Dreyer's word, that, that what we believe is offensive to the ears of those who hear it. They don't even want to hear it, not only not acknowledge it, but find it offensive and I think about, you know, I think about students that are in our church, and and not only the peer pressure that you face, but some of the stuff that even, I think about college students, some of the stuff you hear in the classroom at a public university, and it makes it very hard to be a Christian. It makes it hard to stand strong for what we know that the Bible teaches of right and wrong. And I think of You that go to work every day of every week, and it is hard to be an outspoken Christian in the midst of of where you work. It's hard to really uh, take and to embrace what you know that the Bible teaches of of right and wrong. And even when you gather with family and friends, there is a sense of just being in the minority and, uh, and a sense of how am I going to be the salt and the light that Jesus wants me to be and still be able to Feel comfortable in this place. And so in light of all of this, the question I want to pose to us today in this sermon is how will you as a Christian thrive in our culture today? How will you as a Christian, if our culture is a place where it is, it, it, it is more and more, it is increasingly difficult to take a bold stand for the, uh, for the truth of God, how will you not only survive and get through this, but how will you thrive in your relationship with, your, with the Lord to be salt and light as Jesus has called us to be? And so this is the question that is before us today. How will you as a Christian thrive in our culture today? This is a hard question. It is an admittedly hard question, but it's not like people have never been here before. Throughout history, we think of op- of times where followers of God have found it to be difficult in the world that they lived to take a bold and strong stand to be faithful to their Lord. And in fact, I want us to look at an example this morning, going back to ancient Israel, a story in the Old Testament in which the prophet Elijah, who wants to be a faithful follower of God, finds it difficult in the midst of the land in which he lives to be a strong testimony, to live out his faith. In, that, in his culture. And as we look at Elijah, we might put before, him, before us what his options were and, and weigh these as our options as well and see how would the Lord have us to live the lives that he wants us to live. So the story we're going to look at is found in 1 Kings. But before we uh, look at this, let me just take a minute and ask for the Lord's help. Father God, as we uh, look at this scripture together and as we weigh these issues and these options before us, God, I, I pray that you would speak to us and that you would guide us during this time. Ultimately, we pray that you would be our teacher and that you would touch us in wh- wherever we are at. May your word be understood and may you give us strength to not only hear it, but to embrace it and commit to do it and give us strength to follow through on that commitment. And so we just uh, lift this time up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as I said, this uh, sermon is looking at the example of Elijah. But, uh, and he is introduced to us in 1 Kings 17. But before we get to Elijah, let's back up to the end part of chapter 16 because it kind of sets the stage. We get the culture in which Elijah is living. So starting in 1 Kings 16, verse 29, it says, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He, did not, co- he, he not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, sins of Nabat, but he also married Jezebel, sin, uh, daughter of S- of Sidon, king of the Sidonians, uh, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to worship Baal and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. So that's the stage. That's where we are at. We see that Israel, who is supposed to be God's people, God's representatives to the world, has fallen a long ways from where God wanted them to be. In fact, their king, who is the ruler over over Israel, Ahab, has introduced to them not worship to the one true God, to the Lord, but he has introduced to them and built temples so that they might worship Baal, who is the god of his wicked wife Jezebel. Jezebel is from a foreign country, from Sidon. And in Sidon, the worship is of Baal, and she has brought this into Israel. And it doesn't seem that anybody's putting up a big stink about it. It seems that people are just going along with the flow. Now, Elijah steps onto the scene in 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tisbe in Galilee said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except by my word. So in other words, he's confronting Ahab and he says, you know what, you're going to be punished for your sins. There's not going to be any uh, uh, rain over the land. You're going to be in a drought and the people are going to suffer. And it is because you have not been faithful to God. So here is Elijah all by himself confronting the king. There is no one else that stands with him. What, how is Elijah going to be faithful to God in this, hostile, uh, in this hostile culture? What is he to do? Well, I want to give us what I think are three legitimate options. The first option for Elijah, and actually these might be options for us as well. The first option for, for us and Elijah is to adjust to the times. In other words, and this is what we see the majority of the Israelites doing. They think, okay, well, God has, this is our king, uh, surely God has appointed Ahab to be over Israel, and Israel is introducing a worship of another God that maybe maybe we can somehow ride the fence. We can worship both the Lord and worship Baal. Surely there is some good in this other religion, I mean, a whole portion of the world worships this God and so not wanting to upset the apple cart so to speak they say let's try to do both and so one commentator summarizes and says in general the people of Israel wanted to give some devotion to both Yahweh and Baal as we think about this first option to adjust to the culture in fact this is what a lot of churches and a lot of Christians would say is our best option. In fact, you know, I told you I, I came across this book in an editorial. The editorial is written by David Brooks in the, in the New York Times, and this is the exact option that he argues for. He calls it orthodox pluralism. And, Bro- and Brooks writes, we must reject the notion that an ideal can be translated, can be easily translated into a pure, homogenized path. In other words, there's not going to be one singular path. We're going to have to take a little bit from multiple paths. And this is what we see happening so much in the world today, right? We want to take the acceptable things of Christianity, God's love and His grace, but then we also want to take the ethics of right and wrong that are acceptable in the culture. And we try to balance it some way, and this is how many would say we should live as Christians today, this is option number one: adjust to the times. Now, option number two—it uh, doesn't seem that Elijah, at least, is interested in option number two. But option number, or option number one, but option number two, he does engage with. Option number two, we might say, is to withdraw from the world. Chuck already read these verses, actually, in uh, our call to worship. But let me read these again: First Kings. Chapter 17, verse 2, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kereth ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to pu- supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kereth ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. So here is our second option. Elijah withdraws from the world. He goes up in this ravine. He finds a cave, and he lives there all by himself, or at least him and God. That's, that's all that is there. And this is, an, uh, this is the option of withdrawing from the world This is actually the option of the book that I was reading, The Benedict Option. Rod Dreyer suggests that we as as Christians ought to acknowledge what is around us and say the culture is so far gone, we ought to form our own little alternative society. We'll set up Christian schools, set up Christian clubs, set up Christian support groups, and we will withdraw so that when the world is ready to hear our message again, we'll have something to offer. And so uh, his suggestion is basically for us to pull away, to withdraw from the world. And he gets and he and he uses the uh, this is where the title comes from. He uses the example of Benedict in the sixth century. He looked, uh, Benedict looked around him, and the fall of the Roman Empire had gotten so bad that his thought was, we ought to head to the hills and set up our own community, our own place where we can live apart from the world. And history has proven that. That was a good move. As the world entered into what we call the Dark Ages, it was the Benedictine monks that were able to, they were the only ones recording history. They were the only ones uh, preserving the arts and music. They were the only ones advancing like medical care for people and, and, uh, and preserving education and learning and these type of things. And so Dreyer says, we are... And I mean, this is Dreyer's radical in this. He says, we're about to enter into another dark ages, and we ought to withdraw from the world and do exactly what we see Elijah doing here. So that is option number two. But it doesn't seem that uh, Elijah stays in option number two very long. And in fact, in verse 7, we see a change here. 1 Kings 17, verse 7, it says. Sometime later, the, bro- the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. Remember Sidon? Sidon is the land where uh, Jezebel is from, this wicked wife of, uh, of Ahab. This is at the heart of enemy territory, so to speak. He says, go and live in this land of Baal worship and and go and be right in the center of it. And he said, uh, as you go there, I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Just again, a little background information. Widows in this day would have had very little to offer Elijah or anyone else. They have, they have basically no ways of providing for their own needs unless they have a relative that is able to help them out. So Elijah went to Verathath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. Uh, He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and, and my son that we may eat it and die. So Here's a woman at the end of her rope. I mean, she's literally preparing for her last meal. Elijah challenges her, and, and, and in a sense, I think he is, is testing her faith. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and for your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. But the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. So here we have this miracle, this food that is continually multiplied. How long was Elijah with this with this widow and his and her son? Well, we don't not given the information in this passage, but James in the New Testament gives us kind of a commentary on this, and he said the drought lasted for three and a half years. And so I would imagine that Elijah is with this woman for something like three plus years. And God provides food over and over again for them every day. Now, it's kind of an odd group to be with. As I said, widows wouldn't have a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, standing within society. But as Elijah lives with them, he sees that he begins to care for them more and more. In fact, if we were to go on to read when the son of this widow dies, he is so heartbroken. He lays upon uh, him three times and pleads with the Lord to bring him back to life. And because of his intense pleading, the Lord resurrects him from the dead. And so all of this to say that Elijah was in isolation for a while, but I think God knew that it was not good for him to withdraw from the world for too long And so he sent uh, him to this couple, to these couple of people, so that he could form good, strong community to sustain him in this hostile place. The third option for us is to form a strong community in the midst of culture. To form a strong community in the midst of culture. You see, this is what I think God is ultimately, I think this is our best option. That when we look around us, the world is difficult. It's a hard place to be a Christian. It's, the culture is coming at Christians all the time. And it's going to take community for us, for, for us to be, uh, stay strong in our faith. Have you ever noticed when someone wants to leave the faith, the first thing they do is they leave the church? And when they want to come back to, uh, to God, the first thing they do is they come back to the church? It is because God has hardwired it in us to know that we need one another for support and encouragement. We need the church so that we can be the people of God and be the testimony and the witness to the world that God wants us to be. Several years ago, we have, we have a member in our church who's, who's, who was several years ago not in our church. And, uh, and he actually had decided to leave his church, a different church, because he was so fed up. With what was going on. Just a lot of infighting. They were going through church division. And he said, You know what? I want to continue to be a Christian, but I don't want to go to a church. If that's what churches are, I want nothing to do with churches. And uh, he was friends with a member of our church, Frank Koshimizu, who is now gone uh, home to be with the Lord. But Frank uh, knew that if this guy dropped out of church, and didn't maintain some sort of Christian community, eventually he would fall away from the Lord. So he went to this, this person in our church, and I've asked permission to share this story, but he went to this person in our, uh, who's now in our church, but 10 years ago wasn't, and said, would you meet with me once a month for breakfast and Bible study? And he agreed to do that. And in fact, they invited Pastor Rick, and Pastor Rick, every month for 10 years, with Frank and this other person met for Bible study and breakfast. And eventually this person came back to the church and he came into our church. The reason I think that uh, Frank and Pastor Rick knew to do that was because we are not meant to live in isolation very long. We can't adjust, we can't uh, compromise our faith and adjust to the times. And we can't, uh, and we can't just continue to, and we can't live on our own a faithful life to the Lord. We need the support of one another around us, and that is the beauty of Christian community. One of the communities that I have a privilege of being a part of, we have a growth group that meets in my home every other week. And a couple of weeks ago, we'd been we usually we dig out the, uh, the, the the sermon questions and we go through them, but we just felt like we haven't had a lot of time to. talk about what's going on in our lives and so we took the whole night and just shared prayer requests and shared about what was going on and usually we we try to wrap it up at an hour and a half and we went way longer than an hour and a half but nobody complained and that's because i think deep down inside we know we need this we need to invest in the lives of one another to offer support and encouragement to each other Dawson's on a Little League baseball team this year, and it's, six and, seven, it's six, and, uh, six and seven-year-olds. So you know Little League baseball with six and seven-year-olds, it's a, it's a difficult sport, all right? Baseball's hard enough the way it is. And uh, so almost every game at some point, some kid's going to come back to the dugout, and there's tears in their eyes, and they know they've messed up, and they feel bad about it. Dawson's been in that boat more than once. He's come back, and He just—he starts crying. You're like, come on, Dawson. It's just a game, you know. But he's very competitive, and he's not the only one. So at the end of one inning a couple weeks ago, this kid comes into the dugout, and I could see it in his eyes. He's about to lose it. And I sit him down, and this isn't my son. This isn't Dawson. Usually it's better if some other parent talks to the kid because they don't want to hear it from dad. But I sit this kid down, and and I was amazed just with these eyes welled up with tears. He's looking at me, and he just... It's as if every word I'm saying penetrates his soul almost. And I keep just telling him, hey, you know what? You made a mistake. You made an error. That's okay. You're doing good. In fact, this is probably the best uh, player on the team. And I just kept speaking these words of what were really truth to him. And he just kept looking up into my eyes and eventually was able to turn the corner and be able to get back on track in the game again. And I think there's an analogy there for our Christian walk, Right? I think oftentimes we need people in our lives that are able to look us in the eyes and speak the truth of God to us, no matter how difficult things get, to be able to say, you know what, God loves you, and he's going to provide for you, just as God provided for the widow and for Elijah here. He's going to provide for you, and it might be three years like it was for them, and it might be a longer than that, but God is faithful and he is in control. And, it is only, and with the only way we hear those words from the Lord is from the mouth of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that's why we need Christian community. That's why we need, if we're going to take this question of how are you going to thrive in our culture today, at least part of the answer is you've got to have strong support groups, Christian groups that are going to encourage us and build us up in the faith. You see, option one, adjust to the, time, uh, to the times, is, I think, a path of compromise. It's a broken path that eventually leads to watering down the, the truth of God's word and oftentimes lead to, leads to falling away from the faith. Option two, withdraw from the world, is a dangerous path. You can go down this path for a while, but I guarantee you it ends in a dead end. And it's hard to, in fact, I think it's impossible to walk faithfully to the, with the Lord over the long haul on the withdraw-from-the-world path. But option three, to form a strong community in the midst of the, of the midst of the culture, is God's call for us. In fact, this is what Jesus told his followers. Be in the world, but not of the world. To be witness and to, and to be a, a testimony, to a, a culture that may be hostile to the faith at times. But this is the world that, in which we live. In fact, this is at the heart of, we're talking about being a welcoming church, right? This is at the heart of our church motto, to opening our doors wide so that many may enter in through the narrow gate. What is the narrow gate? The narrow gate is Jesus. It is a life with Him. In fact, Jesus said in John 10, John 10, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Now, that sounds like a thriving life. Amen. That sounds like a life in which we enter into the gate and we go in and we go out. We don't withdrew, just withdraw. It says we go, Jesus says, we go in and out and we find pasture. We find life, an abundant life, life to the full in Him. And so this is our fifth of five Sundays on being a welcoming church. So let me just take a minute before we wrap up today to review where we've been. We've talked about the idea of Christian hospitality. And we've talked about the idea of welcoming guests into our midst and how our worship service can be a welcoming service. And we and we welcome one another and, uh, and share our lives with one another. We've talked about the lunch that we have each week after church as an opportunity over f- food and fellowship to, to get to know those that would come into our midst. And now this, this, finally this, this last sermon, we're talking about community groups and about inviting others into this type of fellowship that is so essential to our faith. So we think of, first of all, at church, we think of community groups. We've got fellowship groups, right? Fellowship groups all the way from youth and college young adult to pops group, which parents of preschoolers and young marrieds, a young marrieds group is meeting today, all the way up to seniors and widows and everything in between. We've got a group so that when people come into our our midst, we can say, hey, you want to come and be a part of my community? Want to come and be a part of this group? And then secondly, we've got growth groups. Growth groups are home Bible study groups. groups that meet here at the church that meet probably more often than fellowship groups and go a little bit deeper. The purpose is growth, to grow deeper in the Word of God, to grow deeper in our relationship with one another. And it's a great opportunity when we meet people to say, hey, you want to come and be a part of my growth group? I think everybody that comes into our midst is looking for two things. I think they're looking for a place where they can belong and form relationships. And I think they're looking for a place where they can grow in their faith. If they weren't working for a place where they can grow in their faith, they'd go to some other social club. But I think those are the two things that, that they're looking for. And when we invite people into our groups, that is when they're going to find a place where they can belong, and that's going to be a place where they can find where they can grow spiritually. So as a welcoming church, this is at the heartbeat of who we are that we would invite people in, that we would open the doors wide so that many may enter in through the narrow gate. How are you as a Christian going to thrive in our culture today? Well, I believe it's going to be probably a couple different things. You're going to have to have time in the Word and time in prayer and seek to be, uh, live out your faith even when it's difficult in the midst of this world. But I think at the heart of this, is at least going to include in part the need for strong, supportive, encouraging Christian community. And I pray that as a church, that we would be able to supply that to one another and we'd really be able to be that kind of community church. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for just the fellowship that we have in this body of of believers. I thank you for our brothers and our sisters. And I thank you for the community that we share together. And I pray that as a church, that as we commit our lives to one another, that you would build us up in in the faith so that no matter where we go, from school to work to family to friends to no matter where we go, that we would be the salt and the light that you would want us to be. That we would be in the world, but not of the world. That we would be strengthened by one another to be the people of God that you want us to be. So God, strengthen us to be this church. Give give us uh, the love for one another to build one another up in the faith. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.